and this is going to be one of the hardest conversations I've had out loud and for the world to hear. Um, there's a lot of traumas I experienced as a child. And I always just kept pushing no matter what it is. I'm not too sure, but I'm pretty sure it's a high percentage of children that has been abused and don't say anything. I remember I was at a family member's house and the only names I will not mention are those that are innocent. If I mention a name, it's because they need it needs to be said. So I was at a family member's house, uh-uh, an uncle, and I've I've was there for a while, and I wanted to go over my grandma's house. And at the time, my aunt was with a person by the name of Paul. And me as a little girl, I've always had breasts. I've never not had breasts. I've always had breasts. Kindergarten, breasts. <laughs> so I think I was about six or seven. Six or seven. And he picked me up. It was late night. And I got to sit in the front seat. And we get in the car and we're driving down Grove Street. And he puts his hand across my chest I had a white tank top on and he says you growing up ain't you I froze I didn't know if it was right or wrong I just froze and he's caressing my breast and talking to me and driving so we make it up Bishop Street and we, we go upstairs and the next thing I remember is the next day my 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 sister my cousin's sister asking me why was i crying so much last night i don't remember i do not remember why it's i just remember flashes of fighting something off i paid it no mind i didn't think nothing of it i end up staying with them for I don't know. Had to be a week or so. And my aunt had went out with her friends. And I don't know where my sister cousin was. I think she was sleeping. And I remember sitting on his lap. Paul's lap. And I remember crying. And I remember saying I was going to tell my mom. He was like, why would you tell your mom? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to teach you something. And we were sitting on a brown chair, and it had stripes that were tan and brown. He had on some jeans. And he said, I'm just trying to teach you some. I'm just trying to teach you how a man's supposed to make you feel. I'm just trying to teach you what to put up with and what not to put up with. I'm just trying to teach you how you're supposed to be treated. (laughs) Again, I am five. No, six, seven years old. I I wipe my tears and I say, okay. He was like, all right. And I went to go play. That was the very first person that ever touched me that I can remember. 
How was my mother's home? We lived on Elm Street. Nope, 26 Reed Street. Yep, 26 Reed Street. No. Take it to Elm Street. We were at Elm Street. And I had a cousin come over. Older cousin. Male. (laughs) Way older than me. And he wanted to lay on the couch. And I laid on the couch. So he's laying... We're laying opposite. So his feet can touch me. My feet can touch him. And he goes to take his feet. And he rubs it over my butt. And my vagina. And I goes, oh, this is what's supposed to happen. It's a, this is what Paul said. Uncle Paul said. Uncle Paul said. This is, this is supposed to make me feel good. So I rubbed him back. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But my mother came in. And I jumped. So at that moment, I knew it was not right. It didn't stop me. <laughs> it did not stop me. I, I wanted to, to be a good girl at all costs, no matter what. And this cousin knew it was wrong. He knew it was wrong. I had another older cousin come over. And he didn't touch me. He didn't he didn't like to see me in just my t-shirt and panties. He he would make me put on clothes. And when that cousin came over, Tony, I'll never forget it. Rest just so he protected me because he didn't want nothing to happen to me and I think he knew next person to touch me we were on 26 Reach Street my mother landlord I don't remember his fucking name but he always wore a suit and he was a church man and Mr. Clinton or I don't, I don't remember his name and he had curly hair, he had a big black nose, big brown face. Um, and he would always come over to my mom's house. I don't know why. He was sitting on the couch and he told me to come here. And I think my mom was in the kitchen or she was in the back of the house or something. And I walked over to him. I'm I'm used to this now. <laughs> It didn't happen to me. And he sits me on his lap. And I feel... I don't know what it is. I don't I don't know what the fuck I feel on my butt. But I feel something. And he's rubbing my breast and he's telling me how pretty I am. And I just say thank you. I just let him rub all over me. Because I was told... This is what's supposed to happen. <laughs> and I, even though I now know this is wrong because I jumped when, when my mom came last time. I don't say anything. I don't know what this man is capable of doing. Whatever. I was at an aunt's house. <laughs> and 
I love staying a night everywhere. I love going places. And I was at this aunt's house and she had a roommate by the name of Gus. Gus had his own room at my aunt's house. And I, I wanted to be everywhere. And I ended up in Gus's room. And Gus let me lay in his bed with him. And he rubbed me. And I welcomed it. I'm, I'm at this time, I'm at least eight years old. <laughs> the fuck I know about welcoming it. I let him touch all over me. And to hide him or to hide his secret, I would go in my aunt's room and it makes small talk. And then I'll go back in his room. Like, what, bitch, what are you doing? You're eight years old. I didn't know no better. He did. Then he hurt me. Whatever he did hurt me. I don't remember what it was, but it hurt. And I went in my aunt's room. And that was the last night I stayed a night over her house. I didn't like that feeling. I don't know what it was, but I didn't like what it was. I will go visit my family. I will go visit my family. And I will have cousins. Get a little little touch. And I, I learned when you when you tell somebody else's side of the story or you tell somebody else's trauma, you violate them a second time. So for this portion, I'm not gonna violate anybody. I'm not gonna expose them. Um, I love them. I now know that it was wrong. I now know that it was wrong. And I'm trying to reflect back more, but right now my brain just went, it just, it just went, it just went numb. And I don't know if that's because of all the years, me just blocking out the trauma. Me just blocking it out. Now, I'm, I'm older. Um, I think it stopped. I think Gus was the last person. I think he was the last person. But from that point until I was about 11... I wanted to be so grown. I wanted to know what that feeling was. I was, I wanted to know what this word sex was and why everybody talking about it. I turned 11 years old and I have a body. <laughs> I have a body. And it brings the attention of many, 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 many men. And I said to myself, at 11 years old, I'm going to own my body. I'm going to own my sexuality. <laughs> you can't tell me shit. I'm going to smile because I know how to make you feel good. So I would have older boys trying to get my number. They got it. I remember being in school 
<laughs> I think I was in fourth grade. Yeah, fourth grade. Now, since the moment I was touched, <laughs> I thought I needed a boyfriend because this is a man. He too old for me. Let me find somebody my age. So I had boyfriends at a very young age, very young. Some of them, to this day, still has love for me. To this day. I have never slept with them. They've never seen a naked picture of me. They've never violated me. To this day, some of them still love me. Fast forward to 12. I was in fourth grade. Whatever age, whatever age you at at fourth grade, that's the fucking age I was. Okay, my birthday January seventh. So I don't know. I don't got time to do it. I'm going through some shit. I'm going through some shit. I was asked. I remember it was a group of us at lunch. We were at the table, and everybody was like, "I ain't no virgin. I ain't no virgin." I didn't even know what the fuck a version was. Okay? No clue. And when when it got to me, I was like, oh, I ain't no version either. In that moment, in that fucking moment, I lost every sense of my personal power. Because now, I'm the girl that says she's not a version. I'm the girl that agreed with everybody else. And there was a person after me. And she said, well, I'm a virgin. And they made fun of her. But she stood in that. And I couldn't understand why, why we were making fun of her. I didn't know what the fuck a virgin was. But this person was a virgin, so we gonna make fun of you. <laughs> Fifth grade happens. And I'm the tomboy. Now, during my developing body, and the older I got, I lean more towards being dressed like a boy. That means you didn't see my titties. That means, well, God ain't blessed me with no booty. But you ain't seen my backside. That means I could wear my hair in a ponytail. That means nobody has to see my body. I remember being at my aunt's house and being the only girl. And none of the boys touched me or looked at me in a, in, a, in a nasty nature. Nobody. But I was fast. And me dressing like a boy only hid my body. It didn't hide my face. And I mean that in the most non-cockiest way. It did not hide my face. I have a very baby face. It's been the same face since the day I was born. It ain't changing. I would date or call myself dating older men. Dating them. Like, bitch, what are you doing? The fuck is, girl, bye. You, you mean you like them? You, that's what you mean? No. I had boyfriends. And they would fall in love. And they'll be like four or five years older than me. I'd be lying to them. I was good at it. I was good at making a man fall in love with me. 
so good at it because I was taught at five or six years old that this is what men like and this is how you get them. Even if they hurt you, even if they violate you, this is how you get them. It stuck with me. I'm now 12 years old. I went to go visit. Me and a friend went to go visit her boyfriend. He had a friend. She had already been fucking. I had never had sex. Never. So when she's saying all these things that she's done with her boyfriend, I'm like, yeah, girl, I know how to do that too. Psych. I ain't know how to do nothing. I knew how to do absolutely fucking nothing. We get there. They go in the room, do what they got to do. I go in the room with his boy. What am what I supposed to do? I know how to kiss. Now, don't get it wrong. From the time of 10 to this very moment, Shia was bomb as fucking kissing. I mastered it. We're kissing and he touching. I'm like, oh, this is, this is, this is sex. Okay, I could do this. No, bitch. <laughs> Your panties come the fuck off. And um, he gets on top of me. And the view is on. It's like 11.42. How do I know? Because I'm not paying attention to what's happening to my body. And uh, he gets on top and he, he inserts himself inside of me. And I jump. That shit hurt. Um, and he didn't even ask me if I was okay. <laughs> he didn't even ask me if I was okay. He just he just kept going. I think it was like 12:10. 12:10 or 12:15, one of the two. And he came. Now, I only know he came because he got up. He was like, "Damn, that was good." He didn't even know he just popped my cherry. He didn't even know he just took my virginity. And I sat in the bed and I was like, "Oh, okay. This all right." So me and my friend was walking home. She was like, girl, what you do? I was like, I did it. Thinking that shit was cute and wasn't. But it hurt. (laughs) It hurt. It hurt so bad. I had a boyfriend when this happened. I had a boyfriend, older dude. Um, By older, I mean 16 years old. And he really loved me. He really liked me. And I went over that same night or that same day. I went back to my aunt's house and I went over to his house up the street. He was at his boy's house. He would stay. It was the summertime. And we was kissing and making out and all that other stuff. And like his friends, they would tell me how much they like me or they want to get with me. And I'm like, no, I'm with him. Like, nah, that's not okay. So then they'll play the brother role. I says, okay, whatever. You my sister, right? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh-huh. So I'm kissing this boy. And he's never pressured me to have sex. Never. We would just kiss. He'll finger me. And that's about it. Well, we're kissing. And I'm, I'm on top of him kissing. And he goes to finger me. And I jump. And he was like, what's wrong? And I could not tell him what I've done so I say nothing's wrong and he keeps doing it I'm in pain 
I'm in so much pain. But I'm sticking it out. I'm sticking it out. <laughs> because it's supposed to make me feel good. <laughs> I ended up breaking up with him because we moved to another side of town or whatever. The very next day, I went to my best friend's house. And there was a group of us there. And the person that I had sex with couldn't wait to tell everybody he had sex with Shia. Yo, I, I hit that. That was the thing. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is, this is okay. Like, we, we can talk about somebody like this. Like, we can literally sit here and talk and tell what happened. Like, this is what, you're not about to make me look stupid in front of no fucking body. So... They was like, well, did you come? Did you nut? Again, I had no fucking clue what a come or a nut was. But I knew if they were asking me this question, it was something that was supposed to happen. And the way he boasting and bragging, something may seem right. So a bitch said, no, I didn't even bust. They clowned the fuck out of him. They clowned him so bad. I didn't know what the fuck they were clowning him for. I didn't care. As long as I had some type of self-dignity. <laughs> Fast forward a couple months. It, it, it really don't, it get around, but it don't get around. I, I had the same group of friends um, when I went to East Rock. I had the same group of friends um, my entire school career there. However you want to call it. Same group of friends. Same, I rolled in the same. I was in the G all the time. Like, that's where I was. It's eighth grade year. And I've had boyfriends. Again, I've had boyfriends. I, I've dated boyfriends <laughs> for a long amount of time. And it was just certain boyfriends that I just clicked with. Well, this particular person was not my boyfriend at the time. But we flirted. We talked. Um, so him and his boys... I was cool with everybody. Came over to my aunt's house. Now, I had a boyfriend at this time. Same hood as him. And before I continue this story, or this piece of, of my paradise, do know that this is a healing process for me. It's not to expose anyone. It's not for you to say shy as a hoe it's not for you to say she was i knew she was moving fast it's for me to tell my truth and get through my trauma to get to my triumph so anybody who has anything to say about what i'm going to say you could suck a rock and i mean that shit anyways back to it i was dating a, a, a dude um he will remain nameless Cause I don't fuck with him. I was dating this dude, and uh, <clears throat> the other person came over. Him and his boys came over, and we were in my aunt's room. And the the thing was, I guess we were supposed to have sex. And I'm like, yeah, I did this. Um, no. Before him, 
I was with one of my 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 friends that were a girl because I'm not gonna say girlfriends. She was a she was a friend that was a girl, and I had body. Okay, again, Shia had body. I think I'm like 13 at this time. Body. She's dating the older dude, and he has a brother. Her and this older dude already been fucking. And she was like, oh, I got a, I got a friend for your brother. Here's Shia. I stayed a night at her house for this reason. Told my mom I was staying a night at her house. Even though I knew next door lived her boyfriend. That wasn't none of my mom's business. Just knowing with my friend. That, that was my... That's the way I thought. Mm-hmm. We are next door. And I meet him. I'm not attracted to him. But she says, take one for the team. Those were exact words. Girl, just take one for the team. I'm like, oh, all right. Go upstairs. We talking. We kissing. He's like, oh, you're going to be my girlfriend. I like you. You're pretty. I like your body. Starts kissing on me. Climbs on top of me. Puts the condom on. Slides inside of me. And that shit hurt. In the back of my head, I'm like, it's supposed to feel good. This is what men do. It's supposed to feel good. Own yourself. Own your body. Own it. <laughs> I owned it, all right. We had sex three times that night. So by the time I left, in my head, this was my boyfriend. This was my man. This was who I was supposed to be with. And it didn't work <laughs> at all. <coughs> it did not work. Because I lived in Waterbury and he lived in New Haven. And he was in these streets getting shot and shit. And that just, that wasn't me. I was, that that was not for me. I'm still going to East Rock. Or, you know what, that part of the story, or the timeline, it was either... Never mind. It don't fucking matter. Just know that happened. The next thing I remember is the friend. Okay, so there it is. The story I just told came after the story I'm about to tell. I was in eighth grade East Rock. Yep, because the the third time I was no longer at East Rock. So, yes, eighth grade East Rock dating someone i had a little boyfriend and i also was flirting with somebody else him and his boys came over to my house we had the sex i did it hurt a little bit but not as much i could handle it so in my head while he's on top of me talking to me in my ear i'm like bitch move a hip or two see if you can make it feel better so that's what i did when it was all said and done he was he thought he was the man like his boys was on the other side of the door like yeah you got shia <laughs> so he had a girlfriend at the time i had a boyfriend and uh they all get on their bikes to leave and he's unable to ride his bike home he he can't do it <laughs> 
he is unable to ride his bike and i took so much pride in that because his boys was like yo she put it on you like that like you can't ride your bike home i felt good about myself i said oh that's it if i throw if i give them what they giving me then i got the upper hand so that's exactly what i did i had the upper hand The next day, I get a phone call from my boyfriend. So I heard you fuck such and such. Did you? My answer, sure did. What's the problem? He hung up on me. Who was I to be that fucking disrespectful? Who was I to be that fucking bold? Bitch, that was not okay. Who was checking me on my behavior? Not a fucking soul. Nobody. I had nobody telling me what's right, what's wrong. Nobody saying, Shia, this is not how a little girl is supposed to act. I was hiding it. Because I was... I was put... That's a whole nother story. We're going to leave it alone. Anyways. At this point, I have not slept with my actual boyfriend. Just the three men prior. So then people start to talk. Like, yeah, this person fucking, this person fucking. It's like, now sucking dick. Oh, gosh, don't suck dick back at, back then. Ooh, the 1999, 98, don't suck dick. 2000, don't suck dick because they're going to talk about you. They're going to call you a hoe. I ain't nobody hoe. So me fucking, we're going to stop this right here. My boyfriend gets to the point where he done fucked other bitches. He trying to fuck me. I'm like, damn, I got to do it. got to see it through. He came to the house. A year later, this is a year later. So, obviously, he was fucking other bitches while we were together. And I dealt with the fucking shit. Because why? I thought that's what, how it's supposed to go. It's okay for me to hurt you. Because, again, that's what I was taught at six years old. It's okay for a man to hurt you. Part one. I was taught that if a man hurts you, that's what's supposed to happen. I'm about 13 years old right now at this particular moment. If you haven't heard part one, go back and listen to it because it tells important details that you need to know for now. Anyways. So I have sex with my boyfriend. He comes over to my house. My mom's at work. I make sure I make my little sister and my little cousin some fried chicken. Tell them they could watch TV in my mom's room. Don't bother me. I go in my room. I put on genuine. Um, what's um, So Anxious? The, al- the album that has So Anxious on it. I put that shit on. Who the fuck do I think I am? I don't know. I know what I'm about to get. So he gets there. And we kissing, all that other stuff. And I'm like, yo, you got a condom? He was like, nah, I ain't got no condom. I was like, all right. I got I got sandwich baggies. Again, that was not okay. Bitch, what the fuck is a sandwich baggie? Didn't stop me. I went to get it. He was like, well, I'm supposed to do it. I was like, shit, put it on. 
<laughs> figure it out. Put that motherfucker on. Well, he puts it on. I'm like, yeah, that, yeah, that's, I, I was like, okay, it's okay. I take it off. I start riding him. This is my very first time riding a man. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I do know. I know how to wind my hips because I was taught by my aunts. I do know I know how to dance because I love music. So I just listen to the music and ride the beat. Literally, I ride the fucking beat. We get done and he tells me, yeah, that was that shit was good as fuck. Like, damn, it was worth the wait. Oh shit now. Shy, you done get did it again. Like you took control and you made him feel good and every turn you feel good. I'm the shit now. I fucked my boyfriend. <sighs> the next time I fucked my boyfriend, I'm at my aunt's house. My aunt, my mother's at work. I'm babysitting the kids. I got my sister from Waterbury with me. And uh, she really don't get around along with the people in the living room. So I let her come in the room with me. As she's in the room with me, I have sex. Okay? I have sex with my boyfriend. And he busted me. And he rubs my belly. He was like little, little Ron G is what the fuck he said. And I thought that shit was cute. I thought that was that was it. <laughs> Bitch. You about you pregnant? He rubbed your belly. <laughs> Guess who did not pay attention to sex ed? This girl. So, I think a month goes by, and that was a secret. Shia thinks she's pregnant. Can't tell nobody, but I'm about to be with this boy forever. <coughs> I go to high school. And I'm, I meet up with the same person that I cheated on my current boyfriend with. He won't come see me. We both live off exit eight. He take the bus to my house. We go in my room. We already know what we was there to do. Like we had since fourth grade, <laughs> fourth grade. This boy, this boy was my boyfriend on and off, on and off, on and off. We had a connection. We had a bond. We were young, but there's just certain things, you know, at a young age or at any age that just, I don't know, believe it. Don't believe it. I don't give a fuck. It's my life. I said it. So we get to the house and we go in the room and we go to have sex. I had a cranberry spaghetti string strap shirt on. And we doing the do. And right before he comes, he busted my belly button. We joke about it. We laugh about it. Clean up. Go about our day. Now, he never said anything about that day. And neither did I. Again, at this point, I think I'm that bitch. Because I know, I now am mastering how to make a man feel good and make my feel, myself feel good in return. I 
I started to like him all over again. Even though he had a girlfriend at this time, I started to like him. I couldn't have him. But I settled for being his friend. I settled for Shia the tomboy that's with all the boys. Shia the tomboy that, that likes to fight. But she also out here fucking throwing this thing in a circle. Didn't nobody know. I know how to I know how to move. <laughs> Trust me, I know how to move. I learned how to move. I was taught how to move. Okay. And that was the start of me having bad sex. And I call it bad sex because I had no clue what the fuck I was doing. I had no clue that being touched at five to six years old or six to seven, I can't remember. It's one of those three motherfucking um, ages shaped and traumatized my entire existence as a sexual human being. Right now, I'm going through some stuff. And the purpose of this series is to address trauma, is to address tragedy, is to let go, is to hopefully help somebody through their story, hopefully help a young girl not turn down the same path that I did. The difference between a pedophile and a child molester, a pedophile doesn't commit the act. He has intentions on committing it. But a child molester, ooh, that's way closer. That's way close. Closer to the victim. I have been molested from family, from boyfriends of aunties from landlords from to roommates my body was not my body for so fucking long do you want to know the end result of that people see me and they say shy you so sexual you you, you so sexual you 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 just you're flirty naturally i cannot help it I've been programmed like this since I'm just going to say five. I'm just going to say five since five. I'm 35. That's 30 fucking years being programmed to being a sexual entity. <laughs> and it's when I when I turned 13 is when I took control of it. So for eight years, I had no control. And from from 13 moving on was all me all me being molested taught me or it pre-programmed me to deal with a lot of shit that I don't need to be dealing with it is not okay for someone to violate your body it is not okay to welcome them violating your body if it's not consensual, if it's not mutual, then the shit should not be fucking happening. It made me not learn my body. My body was a bargaining tool. 
how the fuck can you successfully be a woman if you're using your body as a bargaining tool? Do you know do you know the value of your body? Do you know that you are the only motherfucking living thing that brings a soul into this fucking world? A soul. Animals have spirit, a motherfucking soul. Do you not know how cherished your body should be? It is not okay to allow someone to hurt you. It is not okay to love out of anger or love out of pain or love out of fear. Because that's what my that this particular piece of paradise told, taught me. And in this very moment, this very day, I believe it's August 12th, 11th. I don't fucking know. I think it's 12th. I am having the toughest time because I have to process the fact that someone I thought I would have forever with is officially come to an end. And I'm trying everything in my power not to be the crazy, bitter ex and trust me I've been her before so the purpose of part two is to reflect on where I went wrong and how I'm going to correct it very first day of me going wrong when he placed his hands across my breast I should have said stop Knowing I can't change it then, I'm going to say it now. Paul, keep your fucking hands off my breast. Don't touch me. I hope this shit gets to you. I hope your motherfucking children, my cousins, hear this shit and know that how much of a fucking monster their father is. Fuck you, Paul. Fuck you. And I mean that with every fucking inch in my motherfucking body. Fuck you, bastard. And if I see you in real life, I swear to goodness on everything I fucking love, I will mush you in your motherfucking face and spit in that shit. I promise you I will. The fact that you have children, I feel bad for them because they came from a dick that's attached to your bitch ass. Fuck you. The landlord, Mr. Clinton, I think that's his name. You dirty, sleazy, slimy motherfucker. And if you dead, goddammit, piss on your grave. Fuck you. That was not okay. You rubbing on me, touching on me, and my mama home? We paying you to litter, motherfucker. We not paying you to come touch on my body parts. And this bastard, I'm almost for sure, again, I'm not going to tell nobody else's story. But I'm almost certain he fucked up a family member of mine. I'm going to shut the fuck up. But just know I know. I know you fucked him. I know you busted open for him. Because you were young too. But you were older than me. But just know I know you fucked him. Just know I know you fucked him. Gus. You fucking flea bag. I, I own, I'm going to hold myself accountability. I was so wrong. Instead of me covering your shit 
It shouldn't have had to take for you to hurt me to stay with my aunt. I should have been in my aunt room from jump. I shouldn't have been in there with you. Know your fucking place. I should have known mine. A child has no place in a bed with a grown ass man. And I mean that shit. The lesson I should have learned with the fucking landlord, I should have screamed, mom, I should have asked for help. I should have asked. And I know people will hear these and grab their fake pearls or shed a tear because it was happening right underneath their nose. And do know I do not hold a grudge in this piece of paradise. Because it was something I went through. It was my singular trauma. Um, it was never okay. It was never okay. It was never okay to say. I wasn't a virgin if I didn't fucking know. Bitch, if you, if you don't know. Then why the fuck you speaking on it? And people that know me now, I will randomly, randomly throw a fact out. I would randomly do some research because that's that's what that that lesson taught me. You don't commit, commentate. You don't do shit unless you understand what the fuck you talking about. You don't even have a conversation with a motherfucker if you don't understand what the fuck you talking about. That's what that lesson taught me. Dylan taking one for the team taking one for the fucking team what team it wasn't all of us up in that motherfucking bed it was just me taking one for the team nah nobody should take shit for a motherfucking team because if you have to take a loss for the team then guess who takes that loss yo ass not the fucking team if it's for the team then all y'all mother all of us should have been the fuck upstairs not just me so moving forward I still, I ain't gonna lie, I still take things for the team. I still take on more than I should, more than I need, more than I can handle just so somebody else could get off or somebody else could be free. I do it with my children. I did it with my ex. I do it with my fucking family. I did it at work. I stay taking one for the fucking team. I'm done. There's no more team. It's fucking me. There's no more team. I'm done taking one for the team. If it ain't all of us, then it's none of us. That's taking one for the team. That's standing up for the team. That is the definition. Because in team, there's me. Fuck that shit. There is a me in team. And if it ain't me and you, then ain't no motherfucking team, bitch. It ain't, it ain't, it ain't no team. So moving forward, I'm done taking one for the team. Hold your own shit. Hold your own motherfucking shit. I mean that. I'm I'm not taking anything else for the team. <laughs> nah. Being a cheater and being good at it. Wait. Hold up. Let's let's backtrack. Another lesson I, that I'm learning as I'm speaking to y'all. Don't get me wrong. Shy is nice with it. Okay. The only way it's considered cheating is if you get caught. If you never get cheating, your motherfucking ass was smart. From the age of 14 to 20, 
Shy was one smart motherfucker. Okay? Lucked up or not so much of lucked and got in a relationship for 10 years. Did I cheat during that? Never got caught because I didn't cheat. But if I had to look back at what I did do, I wasn't honest with the effects of what he was hurting me. And I went through some shit. And trust me, that's going to be a piece of a paradise for another another time. But just taking this little piece of the concept. I was cheating. I was cheated on. I was cheated on. And that was not okay. Motherfucker, we don't have to cheat. <laughs> if you want to fuck and I want to fuck, we can either fuck the same person or we go about our business and fuck whoever and come back as long as we protected and safe. So moving forward, the person I will end up with will understand you don't have to cheat. I'm not holding you to a standard that society holds other people to. I'm holding you to my standard. And I need you to, to respect me. Have loyalty to me. So if there's a piece that you want to touch... Let me know before any fucking body else. That's all I ask. I'm a different breed. And the reason why I'm a different type of breed is because I see things differently. Sorry, I had to go off topic. But I had to get that part out. I'm learning the mosaics of who I am and why I am that way. And in this broken moment, I'm learning what I need to let go. And I'm letting go of being molested. I'm letting go of the traumas that were the foundation of what I thought it was to be in a relationship. I'm letting go of not knowing and being naive and ignorant. I'm letting go because that is the only way I'm able to move forward. I can't go through another. I will not go through another heartbreak I will not go through another moment of me being broken because of the trauma that was already pre-exposed to me during my childhood years I'm an adult now I'm a motherfucking adult I'm somebody mama and I'm somebody motherfucking grandmother I don't want my traumas to shape their lives either so I owe it to myself as self-accountability and I owe it to my children as unconditional love to move past that. I've never spoke about it. I've never told the stories that I've told. I may have mentioned. Oh, excuse me. That was a burp. I may have mentioned a story or two. But to tell it in the systematic way that I did, I've never done that. a lot for me but I can tell that story and not shed a tear and that lets me know that I am learning I am growing and I am glowing from that it's a part of my story it's not my entire story it's a piece of my paradise <laughs> and I will get to a point where I, ex- where I explain what does pieces of paradise mean it just so happens That this piece of paradise needed to be recorded first. I'm not going to edit this. I'm not going to take away the fan sound. 
I'm going to let this be as raw as it is. There will be other stories I tell. There will be other stories that I say. And again, I will only mention names of those who need to be exposed. I will protect those where I will not mention your name. While I tell my side of the story from my standpoint. And I'm pretty sure this will cause conflict. This will cause grudge. This will cause questioning. And I'm, I'm all for the questioning. As long as I benefit from it. If you trying to benefit from my fucking life and my trauma and my... This is no gossip. I mean, this is some good ass tea. But this is not for ill intent. This is to go through it. I did that. Grow through that. I'm doing that. And glow through it. That's the result of this motherfucking episode. That's, that's all I'm trying to do. Pieces of paradise... I am she. She is me. I am paradise. And I'm giving you pieces of what makes me me. So if you see my light, you see my smile, my vibration, just know I had to go through some shit to get to that. And I'm still going through shit. And instead of me be broken and suicidal and, and mentally depleted, I decided to take this moment. In my true feelings. In my truest form. And I decided. To put it into pieces of paradise. I wanted to write a book. I wanted to do all these other things. I'm done wanting to do. I am actively doing. So I appreciate you. For listening to part two. Of pieces of paradise. Um, there will be many other series. There will be many other chapters. But this focuses on. Child, male- child molestation, pedophiles, and the traumas that it creates or the, pro- the way it, your curriculum is pre-programmed because of it. Nobody talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. So to any person that wants to have a conversation, any person that would like to be interviewed, any person that would like to just speak their truth or have a platform to speak their truth, I welcome you. I hug you. I turn that key and open that door. Go ahead and walk on, walk on in, walk on in. I'm waiting. Y'all be good out there. Lead with love. Don't dim nobody's light. What is pieces of paradise? What is it? What does that mean? I'm Shia and I'm here to tell you. Hello. Thank you for tuning in. It is greatly appreciated. Um, let's get right into it. I'm a mother, and I'm a very open mother. When I speak to my children, um, I give them me in the truest, rarest form. So can't nobody tell my kids about their mother because, listen, (laughs) they know. I was in the living room one day with my daughter, and I was telling her about an episode or (laughs) an intimate exchange is what I'll call it. I told her about an intimate exchange I had with a particular person, and... The person cried. I cried as well, but the person initiated the emotion and I told her about it. And she's like, mom, what? Wait, huh? How? Like, what is it between your legs? Paradise? And I said, hmm, 
Hmm. You know, I, I take words and I look deep into them. Hmm. Paradise. I mean, that's what you want to call it. It is an ideal or idyllic place or state. Yeah, I'm going to own that. So, yes, paradise. I am paradise. Um, I bring paradise. I can present paradise. I can create paradise. So, I, I stood on that. Like, I'm like, yeah, I like that. During this time, I was also writing a book. It was just a collection of stories um, of characters I created based off of people I had experience with, people I knew, people that came and gone out of my life. It was just like a collective, a collective book of stories. Some of them were going to be true. And then some were going to be from my imagination. So I figured, well, damn, if I'm going to discuss parts of my experiences, parts, peace, hmm, pieces of paradise. Hmm, that hit a little bit different. So over the years, I have been struggling with this daggone book. I can, I can write a chapter and then I get sidetracked it. I can create a character, I get sidetracked it. So needless to say, the book will happen. The book will come. Whether I discussed it here on Pieces of Paradise or if I discuss it on Toasted Talks. Yes, that's another podcast that I am a part of. You're going to hear it regardless. So fast forward three years later, here we are. Um... I am going through some stuff. I am doing a lot of shadow work, a lot of healing. And I just start recording myself. And if you haven't heard Pieces of Paradise, episode one and two, or episode one, part one and two, I strongly encourage you and suggest that you go listen to it. But a part of the episode, I think part two, I said, oh, I'm going to explain what Shia, Shia She Speaks is, or I say, I'm explaining what Peace of Paradise means. And that is the purpose of this particular episode. Pieces of Paradise is, is actual stories of my life. Things that I have experienced, um, events that took place. Basically, it is a mosaic of who I am. And during this process, I'm actually healing. <laughs> I'm actually doing active shadow work. And it feels good. <laughs> it feels so good to release. It feels so, I feel paradise. Like I feel that bliss. I feel heavenly. Like I feel damn good about being able to tell my story. I feel damn good about being able to stand on my own two feet. I feel damn good about encouraging and inspiring people. I feel damn good. So yes, that is pieces of paradise. Now, I also am shy as she speaks. Well, yes, hi, I'm Shia. But what does shy as she speaks mean? What, what, what does that mean, Shia? All my life I've been talking. <laughs> I'm a talker. Um, people come to me for advice. I pop off at the handle. I have a kid voice, even though I'm 35 years old currently. It's like speaking things into existence. If I'm going to speak, I'm going to speak life into something. I'm going to speak life over something. I'm going to end something. I'm going to 
project or perceive what I want because I am Shia and I am she speaks. I have been blessed. I've been blessed with gifts. And my gifts include I can channel, I can read, I can audio, I can medium, I can psyche. I can speak. And those of you that have been read by me can contest that I open light. I open light. What does open light mean, Shia? I open up your light. Those dark moments that you don't talk about, those dark days that you don't bring to surface. Oh, I open up light. And when you open your light, you gain clarity. So when I am Shia, she speaks. It's a totally different person than Shia. It's my alter ego. She is the perfection that I'm trying to be. Shia, she speaks. So I decided to take Shia, she speaks, as well as, mm, listen to me. Now listen, I don't record, re-record anything. I'm not editing nothing. Y'all going to get raw me the way it is. That's just hindsight. So I decided to put Shia, she speaks, and Pieces of Paradise together. Because they are both me. It is it is who I am. And I wanted to share with the world. I wanted to share with you my experiences. In hopes that another little girl won't hold a 30-year secret. Or a teen mom won't be discouraged because she's somebody's mom at the age of 14. Or a woman that knows her value and knows her worth won't settle for being the side chick. I want to experience my experiences with you guys because now it's a reflection. Now it's shadow work. Now it's me looking back. Now it's me learning why I am the way I am. And I decided to create a platform that I can take y'all along with me. And that is the purpose of Pieces of Paradise. Will every episode be, oh my God, gross, I got to clench my pearls. Mm, more than likely it will. But I'm not all dark. I'm not all pain. I have insight. I have light. I have vibe. I have personality. I have energy. So some stories will hit you to the core. And other stories will make you laugh and enlighten you. And no matter which path or no matter which road you in currently, just know I'm going to take that road with you. And you're going to take that road with me. This is a, this is a, what's the word? I wouldn't say a relationship because I'm working on that right now. But it is a form of a bond. I'm bonding with you, myself, the world on another level. And it's my platform. I created it. Nobody can tell me what I can say, what I can't say, what, oh my God, girl, they're going to say, I don't give a flying fuck what you think of me after you hear my stories. I don't give a flying fuck if you judge me before and you damn sure going to judge me after. I don't care. That's that's not the purpose of my show. That's not the purpose of this podcast. The purpose of this podcast and the purpose of the show is for us to grow and glow. That is the purpose. And I believe Peace of Paradise will give that to us. Um, I will have guests on the show if you would like to be a guest or if there's a topic I cover and you want to tell your story. Hit me up. speaks at gmail.com. Hit me up. We can conversate. If you want to tell me your story and I read it anonymously, I will do that. This isn't just about me. This is a us thing. Pieces of paradise. Everybody can consider themselves paradise. Everyone. 
everybody has some form of paradise. There's just, that's just what it is. I said it. <laughs> everybody has a form of paradise. I hear people say, God got me. I don't got to worry about it. God got me. Uh, yeah, I'm different. Do know I'm, I'm different. That's not my mentality. I got me because I got God within me. You hear? You see how that hit different? When you say, I ain't going to worry about it because God got me. I know God got me. You depending on your faith on something other than yourself. Another being of whatever your God is, you believe in it to be or he or she to be the reason why it will work out. Nah, absolutely not. I'm going to put that same faith that I put into the universe, into myself. And in return, the God that I believe in, the God that I have a relationship with, oh, he's going to see me through it because he's inside of me. I embody the God that I am. Goddess, God, however you want to cut it. I embody who I am. So I'm not going to put my faith or lay my faith and hopes on something else. And I'm standing right here. I'm the one that got to go through it. So no, God don't got me. I got me. I got God inside of me. Sorry if it feel like I just went churchy there, but that's how I feel. That's how these pieces of paradise will go. Now, not every episode will be an hour long. Some will be 15 minutes long. Some will be 20 minutes long. I promise you, you will not be disappointed in any show or any channel or any episode. You will not be disappointed because I have faith in myself. I believe in my craft. I believe in myself. I believe there was a reason for me being here to discuss what I done been through. There's somebody listening right now that needs a word, needs a reading, that needs encouragement, that needs inspiration. Someone I know personally that, damn, I'm trying to figure out why shy the way she is. How can this girl be so happy one day, see her, she moody the next day? How come she don't match or give me the same energy she get that other person? Well, if you take a listen to Pieces of Paradise, maybe you are a part of that conversation. Maybe you are a piece of my paradise. And it would explain why, where, or what, or how I am. That's the whole purpose. That is the whole purpose. I will say there will be certain stories I tell where I will not tell you who the person is. And I could be telling a story. You could be listening. It's about you. I'm not going to violate someone I care about just to tell my story. Because it's no longer a present thing for me. That's my past. So if I still fuck with you now, I still love you now. I forgave you now. Don't worry about what you did in my past. It depends on what you do. Once you listen to the pieces of paradise and you, damn, she talking about me. If you don't change your action or your behavior moving forward and you continue it, then uh, uh, that ain't on me. That's on you because I done been through it nine times out of 10. I done forgave you for it and I love you even more. Why? Because that's who I am. So there will be there will be. And listen, I'm not warning nobody about my episodes. I'm going to post them. I'm going to market them. And hey. You press play, just know you don't know what you're going to get. You, you just don't know. <laughs> in life, when you see me, you just don't know what you're going to get. And it will be the same with Pieces of Paradise. So I'm going to wrap this episode up. It's just a quick little intro. I want to welcome you to Pieces of Paradise. 
I want to extend my love and light to everyone. And if you are a person that is a part of my paradise or you're a part of the pieces of my paradise and I offend you, I'm not sorry because it's my story. I'm not telling your story. And if you want to come on my show and tell your side of the story, then we can do that. But I'm going to tell my side. I'm going to tell my side. I'm going to tell what I have been through. I am going to disclose. Is that the right word, y'all? I don't know. I am going to lay it down so you could pick it up. <laughs> exactly who Pieces of Paradise is. Exactly who Shia She Speaks is. And in hindsight, that will tell you exactly who Nishaya Octavia Lewis exactly who she is so again i thank you for tuning in i thank you for taking the time to listen to the intro if this episode sounds all over the place don't worry i have the squirrel type of conversation hopefully i don't lose you spreading love and light and lead with love <laughs> lead with light and if you can't lead with love and light don't you fuck up and create darkness for nobody else like could we stop that can we stop creating darknesses for other people? Oh, okay. That's just my question of the day. Can we stop creating darknesses for other people? Hold ourselves accountable. Self-accountability is a fucking major thing. And I'm a firm believer in holding yourself accountable. Right, wrong, or indifferent. Hold yourself accountable. All right, I'm going to shut up because I'm going to keep going. Yeah, have a good day now. Have a stress-free day. Stress free day to all domestic violence <laughs> domestic fucking violence it is not the way to go on both parts whether it be the female or the male it's not the way to go the stories i'm about to tell um i will try my best not to expose the women because it's not my story to tell what they went through but it is, to t it is my responsibility to myself to say out loud what I experienced and what I learned from their experiences. Why? Because I was a child. I was a child seeing this shit happen. I remember I was at a family member's house and we had just stayed, you know, we just woke up. And the night before we heard, I heard arguing, I heard yelling, I heard thumping, but I didn't know what the fuck it was, you know. Um, probably six years old at this time. And the person that was doing the damage happened to be a person that hurt me as well. Um, if you haven't listened to the first episode, Pieces of Paradise, part one and two, I go into detail about a character named Paul. Um, Paul is also a character in this story. So Paul would give this person in particular a black eye, a black nose, and I could not understand where was it okay for him to be upset, him to be mad, and him put his hands on her. And then I couldn't understand, if he hit you, why are you not hitting him back? My mama said, if you pass the lick, you get a lick. But here this man is going upside your head, and the only thing you're doing is telling another family member about it where was the change where was the responsibility and i get it sometimes a victim do not realize they're a victim they think he's gonna do better or it only happened one time but i watched this man beat her ass for years 
And at this particular time, I'm only six years old. Six years old. So not only is he hurting me, because he's doing things to me he had no fucking business doing, but he hurting you too. Like, who the fuck? Who the fuck is this man? And why does he think it's okay to put his hands on some fucking body? That was my very first incident I can recall where it did not make sense to me. But I put the pieces together like this at this particular moment. Well, if he hurt me and he got away with it, then I guess it's okay for this man to hurt people because this is what people accept from him. Okay, I'm going to take that into stride. So if I'm with a person and he loves me, he got to beat my ass to show me he loved me. Got it. That's what that lesson taught me. There was another incident. I was a little girl and my favorite holiday is Halloween. I don't care how you cut it. It's my favorite. Okay. It's it. You get to pretend to be something you're not. You get the scary movies, which I do not watch. You get the candy. You get the like, it's just. It's just life. Like, Halloween has always been my favorite holiday. And this particular family member was dating a guy. And he was new. He was new. and Or he was new to me. Because one day I saw him in the car. Next day I saw him, he was in the bed. So, there's that. No judge, but just not judging. But that's what it is. So, excuse me, I'm about to cough. <coughs> I'm sorry, I'm fighting a cold. Um, so I don't know what I did that day. It was something minor. I don't know if I forgot to do a chore or if I was outside fighting. I don't know what the fuck. It was. That's what it was. So this person in particular ended up getting to an argument with a family member I was going trick-or-treating with. So he picks, he picks an argument with the person that was taking care of me at that time. He picks an argument with her and tells her that I am not allowed to go trick-or-treating. I am not allowed to go trick-or-treating. I am a fucking child. I have no parts in the fight that just took place. That's what they got into a fucking brawl. I don't know what the fight was about. I was in the back playing with Barbie dolls. They got into a brawl. And to get back at that person... He picked an argument with the family member that was taking care of me. And she said... You're not going trick-or-treating. I'll buy you some candy. That shit crushed me. That shit hurt my feelings to the core. I think that's where I, I put the first block of resentment up towards this particular person. Because why is it okay for him to decide... That I don't go trick-or-treating because he got into a fight with a family member. And how is it that you're allowing him to make this decision? He ain't got no parts in me. He ain't got no parts in raising me. So how come it's okay for you to take whatever the fuck he said to you and tell me I can't go trick-or-treating? Now, that's a form of abuse. That is a form of domestic violence abuse. He fucked with emotions. And he played that part. And I don't understand why... We as victims, because I won't say women because it happens to men too, why why in our head we allow the abuser to manipulate us in the nature that they do and we take it out on our kids. I don't I, I don't I never understood that shit. I never fucking understood how it was okay for him to tell her 
that I can't go chick or treat and not even fucking do nothing. He got into a fight with the family member. You know what that lesson taught me? Never ever put a man over your kids. Never ever let a man decide what's gonna happen with your children. And you know what? That caused a lot of arguments in my, my longest relationship. Because to this day, can't no man tell me what the fuck to do with mine. Can't not, not even their fathers cannot tell me what to do with mine. Now, is that something I'm changing? Absolutely. Because a man should be able to co-parent with a woman. I should be able to sit back and let him make the decision because what he may think is okay, I may not see in that moment. So at the point I am right now at 35, absolutely. The man I will end up with, I am manifesting him as we speak. I will allow him to make decisions based on what's better for the kids. Now, rewinding back to the incident I just explained, that was that was not okay. She should have said, no, this is her favorite holiday. We can take her trick-or-treating. No, but instead you want to buy me a bag of fucking candy. Fuck that candy. Mind you, I never got that bag of candy. So it was a double fucking whammy. Like, damn, you took away my Halloween and I ain't getting no candy? So you lied to me? Mm, 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 mm. There was another incident with the same couple. Um, I was sleeping and I heard a smack. Loud as shit. Woke me up out of my sleep. And I, I opened my eyes and I see the woman grabbing her face. And she's mumbling to him. Now, they're not arguing. But I'm at this point, I know that you just put your hands on this person. I know what the fuck I'm seeing. I'm a little bit older, but I know what the fuck I'm seeing. So I climb out of my bed and I go to another family member and I tell her what happened. Now, I'm expecting everybody to be on go. No, she gets a fucking knife and sits in a room. What the fuck does that mean? What the what does what what does you getting a knife do when this person just got the dog shit slapped out of her and she's still in the room with him? And then I, it dawns on me, why the fuck are you still in the room with him? Why are you talking to him? How is that okay? Like why does this make sense to you? Did he not just slap the fuck out of you? He did. And yet you're sitting there on that fucking bed talking to him another block of resentment for the same fucking person for the same fucking couple because you doing this shit willy-nilly like we're not seeing it and once they realized i was up they shut the door oh so that taught me that what happens between a couple stays between a couple even if a child is involved mind your motherfucking business no no being 35 now, no, that shit is not okay. That shit is not the fuck okay. If you are in a relationship with somebody and either one of you put hands on one another, y'all both motherfucking wrong. And if there's children present, you owe it to that child to correct it. And if you can't correct it, then you owe it to yourselves to go separate. A lesson that I had to learn throughout my life. The next incident that I saw, this involves a woman. The woman was the abuser. 
we were playing at a family member's house. We were playing tag, me and my cousin. And it was a small little uh, senior complex. And we were running around and it was nighttime. And the rule was we couldn't go no further than the yard. So we decided to play tag. Next to this family member lived a, a male, an older male. And he was very close with the family member that we were visiting at the time. He had a younger girlfriend. Um, and she would come in and out. She wasn't the nicest, but she would come in and out. This particular night, we're running around um, the house, and I'm the person that's seeking. So I'm counting one, two, three, and I, my nosy ass, because he had his door open, I peeked into his house. And what I saw was the gentleman laying on the couch, and I saw the woman over him. And I saw her hand going up and down, up and down, up and down. But I couldn't tell what the fuck was going on. And I'm counting, but I'm being nosy. So when I go seek my cousin, I say, um, you should look in Mr. Such and Such's window. I don't know what's happening. So by the time he gets to the window, he sees the same thing I see. But the white t-shirt is now red. something ain't right so I don't know if she left or if a family member went over to see if everything was okay come to find out this woman stabbed him to death we witnessed a murder now when the cops came the only person to speak up to say he saw something was my cousin now the lesson that I've been taught prior to this incident is number one Anything that happens between that man and that woman stays between that man and that woman, especially if the door is shut. Number two, they normally just stay together. You know, when one person hurt the other, they just stay together. So in that moment, I decided that I wasn't going to say shit because for what? I was taught, <coughs> excuse me, I was taught that this is what lovers do. <laughs> No, Shia, you just witnessed a woman murder this man. Did she go to jail? Yes. Did my cousin, was my cousin traumatized from this? Absolutely. He has demons from this shit. Was I traumatized? Nah, I put that shit in the back of my head. I ain't see shit. But now that I reflect on it, I witnessed a motherfucking murder. I witnessed a woman go hard on a man for whatever the fucking reason was. She took this man life. That shit was not okay. I should have spoken up. I should have been a witness just as well as my cousin was because I saw it. I, I, I saw the beginning of it. He saw the fucking end of it. That shit was wrong. That taught me that women also can be the abusers. Women also can take your fucking lights out. Women also can inflict pain on a man. So it's fair game now. So the, the, the three lessons or the four lessons I done, I done had thus far taught me whatever happens between a man and a woman is between that man and that woman I will never let a man decide what happens for my children when they close the door that it ain't meant for a child to be included and lastly women could take your fucking lights out just like your men so I'm thinking well shit I can't wait to grow up because 
I'm a kid. And what I'm seeing and, and what's making sense to me, I put, I feel like I was grown enough to handle big girl things. I, now, mind you, I don't think I was 10 years old yet. I think I had to be about nine. And all of these things have happened. The next incident is was a little different. And um, it's a flashback because I can't pinpoint how old I was when I saw this particular incident. But I remember it clear as day. I was visiting a family member. And he and his wife got into an argument over the television. We wanted to watch a show, but the wife wanted to watch her show. And he was very adamant that, no, it's about the kids. The kids will watch their show. So he gets up to turn the TV. It's a TV on the floor, brown TV. You got to turn the little knob. That's when you could turn the channels. Um, she gets up and she smacks him. He does nothing. She's cussing at him. She's pushing him. He's, he's literally standing his ground. He moves her with his body, like to get him off of her. And she falls to the ground. She gets up, she goes in the room, see him the door. That's the end of it. What this man did after Taught me, it showed me something completely different. He didn't call her a bitch. He didn't yell at her. He redirected his attention to us because it was for us. We wanted to watch a show. I looked at that different that woman differently from that day forward because I felt as though you were a bully. I felt as though because you were the bigger one, you were the older one, you were the wife. It was fuck these kids. I'm gonna watch what I want. But this man said, no, this is about the children. So despite how you fucking acting, I'm going to make sure I'm, I keep it towards the children. You know, that added to my toxic because when I was experiencing my domestic violence, I would always make sure my kids was out of the way. If I had to put them in the room, if I had to put them in the car, if I had to bring the argument outside or away from them, I would always do that because in my head, you're not going to act a motherfucking fool in front of these fucking kids. It's not about you. It's about them. I'm going to let y'all know I failed. I failed with that. That mentality, I still fucking failed. I failed. No. That should not happen at all. If it has to get to that level, then it's time for me to motherfucking go. There's no put the kids in the motherfucking car. Because my kids now tell me, mommy, when you will put us in the car... We would we were scared. We didn't know what was going to happen to you. And they're right. Why would I put that? Why did I put that on my children? Why was that ever the fuck okay? Why was going to war every month or every three months okay? Why was it so severe that it involved knives? Why was it so severe that I would tell my children, go get me some fucking bleach because it's on and popping? Lessons that I've learned. The sixth lesson that I saw. A woman was antagonizing a man. Okay? This, this, this is me. This, this one is me. Okay? This one is me. I was antagonizing this particular person I was dealing with because... I had just had a motherfucking baby and we weren't together 
that's that whole not knowing my worth, my place, or my value. Yeah, that era. Um, he had a female in his motherfucking bed. Bitch, what? I couldn't get inside the fucking room fast enough. He opens the door and I'm arguing with him. I put my hands on him. I'm and I got my fingers in his motherfucking face. I'm 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 trying to get to her as she's climbing out the fucking window. This man wraps his motherfucking hands around my neck and throws me to the motherfucking wall. Bitch, you pass a lick, you get a lick, and I knew I couldn't beat him. I knew for a fact I could not beat this motherfucker. I could beat her ass, but I couldn't fucking beat him. And lo and behold, that motherfucker apologized for putting his hands on me. He apologized that he was that upset. Here go my dumb ass. It's okay, I'm sorry. No, bitch, you shouldn't have had your hands on him and he shouldn't have had his hands on you. So in that moment, it taught me if I ever had to go to war, fight, hit back, I could do it because I was the aggressor in that situation. Again, it added to my toxic traits. That was not something I, first of all, if there's a female in the house, in the bed that you lay in with your baby and your man, bitch, it is time to go. Call you a cab. 203-777-7777. Get the fuck out of there. Go bye-bye. But again, I'm thinking it's cute. I'm thinking that a man's supposed to cheat. That's how you're supposed to act. No, that is not cute. I should not have been in that motherfucking home. Lesson learned. And I said all of that to say this. Domestic violence is not okay. It is not okay. I do not condone it. I, on either end, whether the woman is the abuser or the man is the abuser, domestic violence is never fucking okay. And yes, there's victims that think he will change. There's victims that think, you know, they can never get out. You could get out. You, you got to want to get out. You got to love yourself at some point to get the fuck up and get the fuck out. Now, don't let me sit on this damn podcast and stunt like I still didn't experience some form of domestic violence. I'm going to get to that. that. That'll be in the part two. This is the part one. These are the foundation. This is the foundation. Excuse me. This is the foundation that structured part of my toxic. Because what I took from the seven lessons throughout my life of domestic violence that I can recall shaped me for the woman I was in my 10 year, 10 year relationship. Now, that emotional, emotional abuse, huh, that hit motherfucking different because you're in denial. You're in denial that it's happening to you. You're in denial that it's a form of abuse. You're in denial that you're a motherfucking victim. You couldn't tell me I was nobody fucking victim. Yes, I was the victim and the fucking abuser. That shit is never the fuck okay. So if you find yourself in a domestic violence situation, whether the man is hitting the woman, the woman is hitting the man, the man is controlling the money, the woman's controlling the money, the man is controlling emotions, manipulate. However you want to cut this fucking slice of cake, 
If you are in a form of domestic violence and you are ready to get out, reach out to me. I have the resources. I can encourage you. Now, to each his own. Everybody got their own time of when they want to leave and when they want to go or when they want to grow. You can't force nobody out of a domestic violence situation. I know that upfront and personal. But for those of you that find yourself reflecting like, damn, I am in a fucked up situation. I want to get out and I want to get out safely. I am here. I will advocate. I will walk that path with you. Okay. I can't learn the lesson with you, but I can walk that path with you. Domestic violence is never the fuck okay. It's never okay. And it's damn sure not okay to instill and show our children at such young, fragile ages. Now, there will be a fart, a, a fart too. <laughs> Sorry. There will be a part two to this domestic violence segment. But I wanted to, ex I wanted to explain seven elements that or six elements that turned into the seventh that shaped my outlook or my approach or my exit when it pertains to domestic violence i got stories i got pieces of paradise we won't be doing long episodes this today not right now i want to thank you for taking the time to listen to me again if you want to tell your story you want to reach out to me shy she speaks at gmail.com it's always open. Hit me up on Facebook, Instagram. They're all shy as she speak. Facebook, it is catch her vibe. But if you put in my name, I will pop up. Let's lead with light, people. And if you can't lead with light, don't you dare go be somebody else's dark. Have a good one. How do you deal with... How do you deal with loss? How do you process death? How has it affected you? What have you taken from each experience and applied it to your life? Um, it's very fresh. This this podcast, I don't even know if I'm going to release it. Uh, today's date is 9-11. It's about 9.33 in the morning. Um, I'm less than 12 hours in uh, realizing that my cousin, Timothy, is no longer here. Um, unfortunately, his life was taken. And um, it, it had me reflect back on some things. On how certain deaths affected me. And what, how did I grow from it? Okay, sometimes when, when death happens, um, new things grow from that moment. The very first death I'll never, ever, ever forget. It just so happens to be his sister, um, very young. I remember um, we would run around my grandparents' house and, and, and get in trouble and, and be kids and play in dirt and play in the garage and play with King. And King was my grandfather's dog. Um, and then one day my cousin went down south and came back sick. And at the time, I had no clue just how sick she was. Um, long story short, my, con my cousin ends up dying. Um, but before she died, in the kitchen, uh, we were sitting at the table. 
and she looked towards the bathroom and the bathroom light wasn't on and she says see look the light look at the light look at the light and 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 i didn't see no light like i i i, I know this light not on but she saw a light she, she knew she knew she was about to go again i'm no more than eight nine years old i don't know what this means um i remember being in my aunt's house upstairs we lived in new haven and um we were upstairs and we got a phone call um that my dad was in the accident and um my mother i don't remember it word from word but um she came to me and she she said tashi's gone and I remember running down the, the stairs and just pausing. Like, what, what, the, what the, what does that mean? You know, what does she's gone mean? What, what does that? And I don't understand it. You know, I just saw her. You know, I, I, I don't know what this means. And um, it meant she died. So, my cousin, who I was extremely close to, was gone. That was my very first experience with death. I didn't understand it. I just knew that she was gone forever. So in a sense, I never wanted to get close to anyone because that meant they'll be gone forever. The next death that affected me Um, was an aunt that was murdered. And I had seen her the week before at a function. And she was going to come spend the holidays with us. And I was super excited because when when you, you know, you live in a different city than your auntie, you can't wait to go back to the town you from and brag about your auntie or your family members. Um, So it was, it was, I was excited that she was coming, her and my little cousin. Um, She never made it. We got a phone call. That she was gone. She was murdered. And I always hated December. Always. Always. Let me take that back. I didn't hate December until that moment. Every December I hated. Every December after that I hated. That lesson taught me that um, I didn't want Christmas. You know, I didn't I didn't like Christmas. I, I didn't want no gifts. I, I don't want you to fuss over me. Um, I don't want to sit on no 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 Santa Claus lap. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to be surprised because on the most loving, I don't even know if that's a word. On the most joyous day, <laughs> it was so much sorrow. I don't even think. I know for a fact, most of us have not recovered from her death. Most of us. If not most, all of us. That one, it affected us differently, um, and it made me not like Christmas anymore. Like I didn't, I didn't like Christmas. I didn't like Christmas anymore. Another death that affected me uh, was my uncle, and he had his demons, he had his troubles. But one thing about my uncle. He loved his nieces, at least my dad. Well, he loved all his nieces, but him and my dad was extremely close. So he, we end up getting like a, a like a bonus dad uncle kind of thing. Um, he did fall short from time to time, 
But when it pertained to his nieces, all of us, he would just speak of us as doctors and lawyers and, and successful and beautiful and love our skin. And like, um, unfortunately, he passed. And, and the good thing about him passing, and yes, I did say that the good thing about him passing is um, we were able to sit with the body for, before the ambulance came to get him. We was able to talk to him and hold him and touch him. Um, we were able to have a moment. And and in that moment, it taught me that um, family is everything. No matter how many fights or how many times you want to scream or how many times you want to just say, fuck y'all, family is everything. And there was a few relationships that was mended in that moment because of his death. Um, so no matter what, that taught me that family was everything. Family was everything. No matter, no matter what, family is everything. And everything's coming fuzzy now because the only thing I can think about is my father's side of the family that, that we had to bury people, you know? Um, my grandfather's death, um, I helped take care of him. I, I would sit with him, with him and listen to his stories. And um, when he died, my strength was born. As, as a woman, my strength was born. Because he sat in the chair and he said to me, Shia, do you know if the color of your skin was white, you would have conquered the world by now? The world. My grandfather saw me as that powerful, that strong, that massive of a force that I would be able to conquer the world. And I don't think I was no more than 18. No, I had to be younger, 17. I'm not too sure, but it's around that area. And that's still a young age to conquer the world. But my grandfather believed in me that much. And when he died, it's like something, the switch, the light went on. And I, and I was able to embody difficult di situations without even knowing. I was able to process death in a manner that will make you question, does this person have emotions? Yes, I do. But the emotion that I have now is peace. Because at the end of the day, anybody that leaves this earth transitions to a place of peace. Regardless of what your beliefs is. Now, I don't do religion, so I'm not going I ain't going to thump no Bible on this channel. But I do have a strong relationship with God and my faith. Whew, I put faith. I could stand on my faith. Hell, we all could stand on my faith and it won't budge. Um so it it it, it brought it just birthed the strength of a woman with inside of me because of his death. And I'm sitting here in my room and I'm just talking because I have to get it out. I have to get it out because if I don't get it out, then I won't be okay. And in this moment, someone has to be okay. 
Death isn't easy. At all. Death is not easy. There's one death that I'm still processing, I'm still dealing with. And I lost my best friend. I lost my person. And we were not, we weren't as close. Well, let me not say that. We've always been connected and close. But we damaged our friendship to the point where we just knew if we felt alone to call one another. And uh, I had got a phone call from her cousin. She was like, you know, and I'm not going to disclose her name at this moment. But we'll just call her Jim. Jim, as far as a stone, a crystal, a rock, chakra, literally a stone. So we'll call her. We'll just we'll just I'll just say her, you know, all of the all of you that know me know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, Listeners, I'm pretty sure there'll be an episode where I discuss me and her. But in this moment, for the time being, she just will remain her. Um, I get a phone call and her cousin goes, you know, this is it. You got to get there. So I leave work. I go I go to where she at. And at this particular time, we was beefing heavy in these streets, like heavy. And I bust through the hospital door and I said, you cannot die. You cannot die. And I'm still mad at you. You cannot die. How are you just going to die? And she looked at me and she just told me she was tired and that she was sorry. And I said, there's so much I got to tell you. There's so much I got to talk to you about. Like, you just can't, you just can't die. It's not okay. So we end up talking for hours and we forgave one another. And we knew when I walked out that door, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't go back to being stuck or joined at the hip, but we, we made peace. And that moment, a month before she died, she called me two times and she told me she felt alone and like she was losing control. And at that moment, I didn't know how sick my friend was because she would always protect me from the worst. She would always protect me from whatever she could and when she started to get really really sick I would I would give her a bath and I would I would bring her to the emergency room and I would sit with her I would call her and then then this time go around she's in a a facility by herself and she's ordering Chinese food (laughs) she's ordering Chinese food and um oh I'm sorry She's ordering Chinese food and she's talking to me and, we, you know, we're just having girl talk. But I don't trust her at this moment because I don't know if this is my friend or if somebody just fishing for information. And we stay on the phone for a couple of hours. And then the last time we had talked, um, I found out she was like poking for information about me and versus just asking me. And um, I was so mad at her. And uh, she called me to talk and I said, I'm gonna call you back. I'm busy. That was the last words I said to her. I'm going to call you back. I'm busy. 
My birthday is January 7th. I get a phone call. Now that morning, I see a rainbow in the sky. Beautiful rainbow. Biggest damn day. I feel good. It's my birthday. Okay? It is my motherfucking birthday. Days go by. I go to the grocery store. I'm like, I'm about to cook me a bomb-ass dinner, right? I get a phone call. I need to make it to the hospital because um, she coded two times. And they don't think she's going to make it. I dropped everything and ran to the hospital. And um, when I walked through that door, I saw that she was gone. My friend wasn't there. My person wasn't there. And then the family let me, you know, stay for a little bit. And then out of respect, they, they just wanted to be with her. And a couple of days go by, three days go by. And two days go by. I'm not too sure. And uh, they say, this is it. We we just going to pull the plug. And I got to go to the hospital. And I got to hug her sister. I got to hug her sister. Harmony. And I got to hug her aunts. And I got to hug. I just got to hug them. And I got to hold her hand and play our song. And that was our final goodbye. And I went home and and, and I'm cooking in the kitchen. And I just felt, I just felt her go. Like literally, I just felt her go. The rest of her go. Because on my birthday, she died. So she completed the process. And I felt it. And I just dropped to the floor. A part of me left. And it was so hard to process her death. But during this time, I I had started my journey of the spiritual walk. And um, I would beg for her to come to me. I would beg her to come. And uh she didn't come she would not come and then one day I was doing a a reading for my daughter and she she popped up she popped she popped in there and there's one thing that I could say about this woman she was the only person on earth that would fight me for my own children she loved us that much But she came through, and and it's like when I when I do readings, I step out of myself and I become shy as she speaks. So it was a battle because I'm like, when I asked you to come, you wouldn't come for me, but you're here. I I've been wanting to see you. I want to feel you. I wanted. I just wanted to see your face. And um, I finished doing a reading, and that night. I just feel her presence, and then the, the, as the days go on, and, and I and I and I get into this spiritual journey a bit deeper, I, I see that she makes her presence more known. She 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 clears paths for me. She removes blockages. She she still does everything she did on earth in the realm, and uh. Her death taught me the most lessons. 
she taught me how to forgive and uh she 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 taught me how to stand on my own two feet and not care what anybody thinks. She taught me how to love outside of hate and hurt. She still teaches me. Um, now if I call her, she comes. It's, it's just a clear path. It's just when I meditate or I do my rituals and I speak to her every single time I do a ritual, I speak to her. And I just know that she's with me. So with her passing, it allows me to process death a lot easier. A lot easier. Because I know it's not the end. It's the beginning of another cycle. And there's one death I'm going to mention and then I'm going to I'm just going to stop talking. <laughs> my grandfather, my other grandfather, my father's mother, my father's mother. That is not it. I'm sorry, y'all. My mother's father is what I should have said. Um, cancer. Fuck cancer. Every fucking bit of it. Fuck cancer. Um. But with this gift that I have and me doing readings and, and connecting to, 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 to spirit and connecting to nature, I, I was able to prepare for his passing. I was able to prepare and warn my family members for his passing. I was able to receive and accept his death. And manage and move forward. And I did something so powerful. And I'll never forget this moment. And this is what his death. His death taught me that my gift of reading. My gift of sight. My gift to, to see past. Foresee my gifts that I have been blessed with. They are real. At his funeral. Or his memorial. However you want to cut it up. I got up to speak. In a church. Where. My gifts are deemed voodoo. Or my gifts are deemed as the devil. I was able to stand up. At that podium. In a church. And read my family. Give a message. To my family from my grandfather. In front of everyone. That was powerful. That's, that's one thing my grandfathers left me. They left me power. That is to stand in the church. To stand in a church. And to read. To psyche. To be a medium in a church. In front of a pastor. Unheard of. Unheard of. Some people would have been kicked out, told to get off the podium. Anything could have went wrong. Nothing went wrong. I was able to stand in my truth and stand in my gift and deliver messages to my family members that they needed in that moment. And little to little did I know, when I read my cousin Lenny and I told him about the stra about the stars, a 
about the shooting stars. And every time he saw a shooting star, it was him. I didn't know that night before he saw a shooting star. No clue. No clue. My grandfather's death validated my gifts. And um, ironically, two two nights ago, he came to me in my dreams. And now that I'm talking, I'm putting two to two together. I'm putting two to two together. He came to me in my dreams and the and the color was black and blue. He was himself, healthy as can be. But it was like he was in fog that was in black and blue. And he stood behind the glass until I stopped crying. And that's when he told me I had to be nice to families and and and, and not be mean and watch what I say and not react. And um, I've been struggling right now. I've been struggling these past couple of um, days just with emotions and, and mental and just finding rebalancing or rearranging my chakras. And uh, last night or this morning, however you want to cut it, because, you know, we say last night, it could be three o'clock in the morning, but it's still last night if our ass ain't go to sleep. So last night when my cousin during the the commotion i felt it in my chest i felt it in my heart and in my stomach he was gone i knew he was gone i felt maybe not the severity of what he felt but i felt what he felt and i knew he was gone and when the doctors confirmed it and we're outside and i'm walking i can hear him whisper my name And when I turned to look around, the same environment that my grandfather was in, the black and blue shadow mist, however, that's the best way I can say it, stood my cousin. He stood there. And he knew what had happened to him. But he just had one message, and I delivered that message. I did. Whether it was received or accepted, I don't know. But I did what he asked me to. So in this moment, I am actively learning what his death will teach me. But if I'm, if I'm right, it's teaching me that um, family, family will poison family. Family will be toxic to family. But it has to be someone to see both sides. You cannot look at a situation with one eye. You have to look at it with two. You got to be able to become a vessel and absorb and a messenger to release. I'm not too sure if that's what I'm being taught right now, but I had to I had to get it out. I had to say it. I had to say it. And I dedicate this podcast to him. Tim, may you forever rest in peace. And I know that we have not seen the last of you. If anything, you're just getting started, baby boy. I love you.